Good morning. Uh, today's first reading is from Psalm 96, and that can be found on page 602 of the Church Bibles. That's Psalm 96 on page 602. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes, he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the earth, the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And the second reading is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. And that's found on page 1182 of the Church Bible. Colossians chapter 1. The supremacy of the Son of God. The Son is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And I'd like to just pray for ourselves and pray for Neil as he comes up to speak to us. Lord, we just thank you for Neil, for the words that you have put on his heart, and we just ask that as he 
speaks to us that you will speak to each one of us individually, Lord. Touch our hearts, change our lives, bring us closer to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning, church. Good to see everybody. Today is harvest, and it's great to celebrate harvest together. We're thinking also today about the church's response to the climate emergency. So we're going to be see how harvest and this climate crisis interlink as we think about God being a creator God, being a God of uh, hope, being a God who cares for this world and a God who longs for justice in this world. And I see this as part of our vision where we are offering hope to the world around us. Because when we think about the climate crisis, it's often bleak and dark, isn't it? We see all the bad things that are happening in the world. How are we going to fix this? What hope do we have? Did you know that two-thirds of young people are very worried about climate change? There was a bishop, Bishop James Jones, who was the Bishop of Liverpool. One of the first things he did when he got to the diocese was he went to every deanery and visited a secondary school. And he asked the teenagers what were their dreads and their dreams. And the thing that surprised him most was the number of teenagers who were concerned about the environment. When I was a teenager, I was worried about whether I'd get picked for the football team on Saturday. I was worried about whether ABBA would split up. But today's teenagers are worried about the fate, the future of our planet. Two-thirds are very worried about the fate of our planet. And we need to be a source of hope. The celebration of harvest is a time of hope, a time to give thanks. It goes right back to the Old Testament right back to the time when the people of God brought the gifts to the temple in Jerusalem. And there were two different harvest festivals in those days. There was the first, uh, the uh, Shavuot, which was the first fruits coming into the barns, the very first bits of grain that grew. They were brought up to the temple, the Shavuot. And then the second in September was the ingathering of all of the the wheat and the barley, all of the good things that the land produced. And that was called the Sukkot, the festival of tabernacles as well. So their lives were linked with this cycle of harvest and their festivals were linked to these harvests. So two of the three times when they went up to Jerusalem, the first was the Passover to remind them of God's provision in saving them from Egypt. The second was the provision of the law and this provision of the first fruits. And then the third was to remind them of the time in the desert and to thank God for all the harvest that had been brought in. They appreciated that the promised land was given to them as a gift, given to them by God who had gone before them and driven out their enemies. The Jewish people were intimately aware that everything in the law, it, it, on the earth was the Lord's. And as Lewis read for us in Psalm 96, the world gives glory to God. They saw that connection. They were part of the community of creation. We are not above creation. We're part of it, part of that community. And they looked forward to a day when God's judgment would be seen on the earth. 
and seen in how we treat this earth. Harvest reminds us that we have a creator God, a God who created everything, as we saw in that first video this morning, uh, that story of Genesis, that story of how the world and everything, the heavens and the earth, the stars in the sky, were created by God. And for me, it makes more sense that there is a creator behind this creation than believing that all of this, all of us, just came about by accident, by random molecules hitting each other. As a scientist, I find it far more believable that there is a divine designer than that all of this is just an accident. And in seeing that God is the creator, we have to see that that creator gave the land, the world, everything on it, everything in it, into our hands to look after. And at first, his people cared for the land because he told them how to care. They had to leave the land fallow on the seventh year. So they were allowed to grow crops for six years, and then the soil had a chance to recover. They had to make sure that they didn't take the land for granted. They had to leave the edges of the fields so that there was food for the, for the poor. They didn't harvest right to the edge of the fields. There was also food there for the birds of the air and the animals to feed on. Their attitude to the land determined their uh, behavior towards it. And perhaps we need to look at our attitude to this awesome creation that God has given to us. We are permitted to enjoy this creation as its tenants and its caretakers, but not in a way that's careless, greedy, or destructive, because we're answerable to the owner of this creation. We're answerable to God. In Genesis, God told the people that they would be able to subdue creation. And in that word subdue is better translated as steward or manage. We're here to manage creation and manage it well. God wants us to be good and faithful servants, doesn't he? And then in, in Genesis, we're told that we have dominion over creation. And in what way are we going to rule over the world? Are we going to rule in a way that's filled with greed and, uh, and oppression? Or are we going to rule in a way that's filled with compassion and gentleness in the way that Jesus ruled, in the way that God rules over us. We have taken things for granted. And this attitude, the way that we've treated the land, is being lamented even by farmers in the farming community. Um, there's a great book called English Pastoral written by a farmer uh, in Cumbria called James Rebank. And this is what he writes. Farmers used to assume that nature would adapt and cope with whatever we did on the land, but that is no longer credible. Our power to beat up Mother Nature has grown exponentially in my lifetime, wearing the mask of progress. And because of that, we have destroyed things on a scale our ancestors would scarcely have believed. The old faith that the natural world has limitless reserves and resources has been tested to destruction. The idea that nature was vulnerable seemed like hippie or communist propaganda to my grandfather and even my father's generations of farmers. But it has now proved to be true. Nature is finite and breakable. Our society 
is right to be concerned about agriculture. The science of what has happened is chilling. The fact that the loss of nature is escalating is even more terrifying. We are burning down forests, filling the atmosphere with greenhouse gases, polluting the seas with plastic, and killing off species at remarkable and devastating rates. Being aware of these sad truths marks the difference between the era my grandfather farmed in and my own. As farmers, we now have to reconcile the need to produce more food than any other generation in history with the, necessi the necessity to do that sustainably and in ways that allow nature to survive alongside us. We need to bring the two clashing ideologies about farming together to make it as sustainable and biodiverse as it can be. That's what the farmers are starting to think. We have been given this beautiful world and we need to remember that we should be good stewards of this world, God's world, God's awesome creation. So Harvest reminds us that we have a creator God and also that we have a caring God. It's the God who cares for us, who gives us all the good things of this world. Jesus would often use nature as points of reference. Remember he said to Jerusalem that he wanted to gather them under his wings like a hen to protect them. In our second reading, we were told that this world was created ultimately by and through and for Jesus. That's everything, everything in heaven and on earth. Jesus is not just interested in our souls. Jesus is interested in the whole of creation. And now as God's people, we are to take on that privilege, that responsibility of looking after this creation for him and working for its reconciliation and restoration. This means that we, the church, need to be actively involved engaged in caring for the resources that we've been given. Recently, the Archbishop of Canterbury, the Pope and the head of the Eastern Orthodox Church made a joint statement. That doesn't happen very often, but they thought that the present time needed a statement to be given by all three of them. And they said as part of that statement, which is really useful to look up if you want to, you'll find it easily, they said, nature is resilient but delicate. We are already witnessing the consequences of our refusal to protect and preserve it. Now, in this moment, we have an opportunity to repent, to turn around, to head in the opposite direction. That's what the leaders of our churches are telling us, calling us to commit to working for the restoration of the balance between us and our environment, to guard the resources and to work for the well-being of future generations. So the Church of England has made this resolution that we want to be uh, carbon zero, net carbon zero by 2030. And that means dramatic changes to our buildings. Here at St. Jude's, we've already applied to put solar panels on the lower south roof. We don't know whether we'll get that permission, the planners are, um, are ready to say no. Historic England are ready to say no. But we believe that 
the world is at such a point, a tipping point, that if we don't put solar panels on or start to do things to uh, recover from the position that we're in, we won't need to worry about historic buildings because there won't be anybody here to see them because the planet will be gone unless we do something. And that's just part of all of the other plans that we're going to get together to make this building net carbon zero by 2030. We're called to care for this world. This world that Jesus, our Lord, formed. He spoke into existence as the eternal word. To fail to care is to fail to give glory to God. Harvest also reminds us that we have a God of justice. Our good harvest inevitably reminds us of those who don't have so much. That's why we bring all these gifts, isn't it, at harvest. Because we know that God is a God of justice. And if we have enough, we need to share that with those who don't have enough. That's what harvest is all about. But the climate crisis makes us look at life in a bigger perspective, doesn't it? It's not just about the people that we can get food to through the food bank. It's protecting those people who are in desperate situations because the climate has changed and they can no longer farm the land that they've farmed for generations. There are now more refugees in our world because of climate-caused disasters than because of wars or conflicts. Whole areas of Africa have become uninhabitable. People have had to leave the land and search for food as the rains have become unreliable. Climate refugees have been displaced because they just can't live safely where they used to. Our God is a God of justice. And he can see, as we can see, that this crisis has been caused by the richest nations of the world. Remember, 86% of the greenhouse gases are caused by the richest 50% of the world. He can see that those who suffer the most are the poorest, who've contributed the least to this problem. For them, global warming is not about turning up the air conditioning. For them, global warming is losing all of their crops in a drought or seeing their homes washed away by floods. That's why the Christian aid agencies have all been advocating for action on climate change for years and years and years. They've got their own Christian climate toolkit, climate emergency toolkit that you can find out about because we need to be those people who are having conversations, making choices that change our world and change it back for the better. And we need to do that as well because our God is a God of hope. This isn't a hopeless situation. Our God is a God of transformation and change. The whole story of Scripture is about God restoring and reconciling his good creation. So another world is possible. A world that's not shaped by out-of-control greed. A world that's kinder and more compassionate. But we won't do this by just telling people to do it. We need to change our attitudes, our values. And as always, at the heart of the problems of humanity is a problem with the human heart. It's our hearts that need to change. We need to see what we're doing to the world. And not just us, but help others around us to have their hearts changed.
We've been given a gift by a creator God. And this whole world that was made through and for Jesus was made so that Jesus would come and bring about a transformation, reconciling the world, making all things right through the blood he shed on the cross. This is why we formed an eco-church team here at St. Jude's, a team to raise awareness about these issues, a team to encourage change to happen in our lives, and a team to make things happen like the solar panels. Uh, we're also applying to become an eco-church. There's a bronze award. 4,000 churches across our country have signed up to try and become more eco-aware. And also to draw more people in. Because as we put this message of hope out, people will connect with that and come in. People want to know that we have something to say about this. And in all of this, we're always making Jesus the heart of South Sea. Because it's his world, his creation, that we're saving. So what can we do as an example? How can we be involved in this project of God to protect his creation? I think really we all know those things that we're meant to be doing, don't we? But it's just difficult making those changes. We all know that we should reduce, reuse and recycle. We all know that we should change our lifestyles to make our lifestyles fit in better with the protection of this world. We all know that we should be better at using energy, make sure our homes are insulated, make sure we're using a renewable energy com company, switch those lights off, use the kettle less. We all know these things, don't we? Travel and transport. These are LED lights. These are LED lights. We made sure that they were. We made sure that they were. Some people need them, Julie. Some people need them. And we travel and transport. Use, it, use our feet and walk instead of going in the car. Use our bikes if not. With shopping, we can shop locally, can't we? We can shop in places where we can take the containers with us. We've got a whole stall about that. And our eco-church team are here to help us to think those things through. Lastly, with gardening, there's ways that we can change the way we garden. And I don't know whether you noticed, but our eco-church team have made a little garden out the front to increase the number of flowers for bees and insects that there are in our little part of this world. After the service, there's some stalls around. So grab a tea and coffee and then go and visit the people on the stalls and find out a bit more. Did you know that we have someone in our congregation who's written books about children being eco-warriors? Go and find out about Sheila's books over there. But there's lots of different stalls. Andy, who's teaching the children about bug hotels. We need to learn how to care for our planet. That's why the children in one of the children's groups this morning are being taught about bug hotels out in the garden. You can see Andy, he's from the Wilder Portsmouth, the Hampshire and the Isle of Wight Wildlife Trust initiative. And then we need to be praying Praying about this world, praying for the COP26 climate conference that happens next month, that the leaders will not just try and slow down the damage we're doing, but start reversing it. Because we've already gone 1.1 degree above where we should be. And we need to get back to where we were to stop seeing the forest fires and the floods and the hurricanes and the, and the sea, sea level rising. We need to get out and 
get into conversations, to show people that we care about this planet. Because if we believe that we have a creator God who cares for this world, who is a God of justice and hope, then we need to show that in the things that we do and the way that we live. And if we do, we will start to change this world around us. Be the change that you want to see. This is about making Jesus the heart of South Sea. For through him and by him and for him, all things were made. And in him, all things are being reconciled through his blood poured out on the cross. This is what we believe. This is what will bring glory to God. And this is what we should be doing in the name of Jesus. Amen. We've got a a song to sing now. So let's stand and remind ourselves of this amazing, awesome Jesus.